Hi, my name is Rich. Um, my life changed when uh, Lisa and I decided to take a risk and uh, help launch and support uh, the new Medina campus. Um, I became a believer in my late uh, 30s after years of skepticism. And um, after that, we uh, shortly after that, we uh, started attending the Bath campus. And, uh, but we didn't get connected. Uh, we didn't serve. Uh, we tried a life group once or twice. It wasn't our thing. Um, I was aware of God's grace, uh, saving grace in my life, and grateful for that, but really hadn't pushed it down and processed it in many, many areas of my life. Um, in the spring of 2012, we learned that uh, a new, new campus was going to be launched in Medina, and I told Lisa I wanted to be a part of that, and uh, wanted to support Tony and, and the church in that effort, and, and Lisa agreed, but we both agreed we weren't going to do it unless we were uh, committed. Um, and I can tell you that God uh, has rewarded that just small, very small step in ways that we could not have imagined. Um, just the connectedness and the community and the encouragement uh, of being part of that launch was, at least in my experience, something that could only have come from being part of uh, what was really God's, God's movement. Um, shortly after that, I uh, had the just incredible blessing of being uh, discipled one-on-one, uh, -on -one, a concept I wasn't even familiar with before going to the Medina campus, uh, being committed to, to a life group. And uh, just through that and Tony's teaching began to really think through and process just the richness, the depth, um, the counterintuitiveness sometimes, and, and just the freedom that God offers us through His grace and His gospel. Even in some of the areas of my life that were really hard to get to, and including uh, even I practice as a lawyer. Um, uh, two years uh, in uh, spring of 2014, we were asked to launch our own life group um, with some amazing brothers and sisters. And uh, we're not perfect; we're far from it. Um, but uh, uh, God's allowing us to continue to process and think through just the the awesomeness of His grace and, and uh, the gospel. And we're just so thankful for that. And uh, we appreciate the opportunity to share share that story with you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to see you, and I bet it's great for you to see me, isn't it? Welcome. And uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, whenever I'm here and Tony's not, the view is considerably better, and I understand that. And really, I can only apologize um, uh, profusely, which is what I do uh, to Jessica a lot because I perform their wedding. So it's good to see you guys, and uh, it's great to be here. It's fun to be out, and it's fun to be in this series, and we're, uh, we're excited about it. It's a blast to be in the new building and uh, to, to get to speak here in this as well, and just lots and lots of dreams coming true out here in Medina East, and so grateful for you guys, and uh, grateful for Tony and Seth and the whole team, and uh, love it. We're in this series called My Life Change Win, and uh, what we're doing in this series is we're talking about... Uh, defining moments in our life, right? That life kind of works that way. Life kind of works in these pivotal moments and God will bring us to these places and he will uh, work with us in a unique way in those times. Sometimes they're very positive times. Uh, sometimes they're very negative times. And sometimes they're just times of faith where we interacted with God and we felt God called us or led us or prompted us or directed us, a bunch of ways that we would say the same thing, that God interacted with us in a unique way, asked us to implement 
his truth in our life in a unique way and we took that step of faith and the bible says this is pretty normal the bible says real clearly that god we are god's workmanship he created us to do good works for him and he did that in advance that god is writing a story for you and he takes us down pathways to kind of cause that story uh, to be written and then that story is mine uh, I'm to take that story, I'm defined by that story, I'm shaped by that story, and then I'm to use that story. I'm to use that story to kind of tell the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm to use that story to help other people as they're looking for God. And it's God's unique gift to me. It's the unique path that he would take me on. And he brings me into those moments and my life changes when I run into those moments and I embrace them and let God do what he wants to do through them. So this weekend we're going to talk about my life changed when I took a risk with God. My life changed when I took a risk with God. And there are times in our lives that God asks us to step out on faith, right? And I just describe, we'll say that a bunch of different ways. The spirit led me, God prompted me, I just felt down deep, I couldn't get off my heart, it was heavy on my soul. There's all kinds of weird Christian ways that we say that. But it all kind of boils down to the idea that God at times looks at his people and says, would you take this unique step of faith with me? I want you to take a risk. I want you to do something you weren't expecting to do. And I am going to give you the gift of doing that. And I'm going to write my story in your heart in a unique way if you're willing to do that. Now, that is actually not unusual. If you read the Bible, this is often the story of the people of God in the Bible. Somehow in our uh, culture today, we've turned following Jesus into Jesus make me safe and give me a safe trip home and bless my food, and, which I think we all can agree in North America, God has obviously blessed our food, and make my life kind of go well. And you'll hear that teaching all the time. It's on TV and on the radio, and some authors will talk about that, that if you follow God, God smooths your life out. If you follow God, God blesses you in abundant ways and gives you what you want. And all of that teaching, when you push it into the Bible, is mostly garbage, frankly. When you look at what the Bible says, when the people respond to God, respond to Jesus, respond to God in the Old Testament, most of, their, most of the time, their life does not start to go better. Most of the time, God will ask them to do something that's outside of their normal comfort zone. In fact, Jesus, one of the great promises of Jesus, he looks everybody in the eye and he says, hey, if you follow me in this world, you will have trouble. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of the way that Jesus works. He's like, if you follow me, it's going to cost you something. It's going to divide father, mother, sister, brother. It, it, people are going to hate you because of me. So the biblical directive is not if you follow Jesus, you get good hair and a flat screen TV and all your financial problems go away. The biblical example is when you follow Jesus, you're going to be asked to go places you would have never gone, to do things you would have never do, to take chances you would have never taken, and to take a risk with God for reasons that are oftentimes hard to understand and difficult to get your head around. And that's a huge part of what it means to follow Christ. So when I say that I'm a Christian, or I'm a Christ follower, 
that's what I'm signing up for in a lot of ways. That's the norm of it. And by the way, you're going to see here in a little bit, this is where a lot of our life and vitality and vibrancy of our faith comes from. Because as people of faith, we do things for a God of faith. And when we in faith follow a God that requires faith, guess what happens? Our relationship with that God explodes and gets rich and gets powerful. So taking a risk with God. What does that look like? What's it feel like? How does it play out in in real time? Let's start by just defining risk here for a minute. We talk about taking a risk with God. What are we we talking about? Because in our culture, when we think about risk, it's a weird thing. We, We are a little bit of a schizophrenic culture in which we'll really go after safety and security, right? If you have a child, you want that child safe, you wrap that child in bubble wrap, they sleep in an oxygen-rich environment while Mozart is playing, right? We'll kind of do that. That's kind of one side of our culture. And then the other side of our culture is, wouldn't it be hilarious if we jumped off the pool, off the roof into an ice-covered pool? (laughs) It's the YouTube stuff, right? And so there's ultra-safety and then ultra-risk. So take a risk with God, what are we talking about? Let me kind of define what taking a risk with God is not, and then we'll get into what it is. So taking a risk with God, for instance, is not impulsive behavior. It's not, I just got this crazy idea and I'm just gonna do it, just gonna do it, and all my friends are talking. That, that is not something that necessarily honors God. If you jump off a bridge with a rubber band wrapped around your ankle and it breaks and you slap into some rocks and die, I'm not sure you're getting into heaven. I'm just being honest with you. God's gonna look at you and be like, you did what? I don't know, you know? So it, it's, it's not impulsive behavior. That's not what we're talking about. Taking a risk with God is not recklessness. It's not throwing your body or your life away. I was watching a, a TV thing one time where a guy rode on the front of the van, they slammed on the brakes, he flew forward, and his goal was to go through a sheet of plywood, recklessness, and he lived, unfortunately. And so his gene pool is still out there, right? So it, it's, a, it's not recklessness. And here's the biggest reason why it's not recklessness. Because if God asks you to take the risk, he promises to go with you, to go before you. So he is the safety net. It may be unknown, it may be scary, but it's not reckless because God is involved. He's the one that asked for it in the first place. So it's not an impulse, it's not recklessness. God-directed risk will be unknown and it will cost you something. That's all through the Bible. It will be unknown and it will cost you something. And that's the nature of risk. The, the, the nature of risk is twofold. It's kind of a double-edged sword. One side of it is I'm willing to take a risk for the potential of what could be, right? When I asked my wife Heidi on our first date, I was totally swinging for the fences with this one. And I'm, I'm like, but if she has a lapse in judgment, right? She will do this. So that it's a worth the risk because of what could be. Now here's the other side of the, of the coin. Risk also always involves leaving what is known. So if I'm going to pursue what could be, I have to leave what is known, and that's the other side of risk. Because we would rather be familiar than happy. Did you know that? We'll rather be familiar than happy. We'd rather be familiar than fulfilled. 
We will live in misery because we understand it. And we don't want to take that risk. So when God says, hey, I want you to do something, it's always going to be unknown and it's always going to have a cost. I'm always going to be led to go after something that I can't see the end of and I'm going to be asked to leave something that I'm very familiar with. And it's the nature of risk and it's what God will do. He does it all through the Bible. A God-directed risk will always enhance the kingdom of God and accelerate the gospel of Jesus, always. So it's not purposeless. That's where it's not reckless. It's not dumb, right? It's not impulsive. It's always going to enhance the kingdom of God, and it's always going to accelerate the gospel of Jesus. There's a reason why God asks you to do that. Now, we don't always know the details up front, but we can know the heart and the mind of God, and we can know he would not even ask. He's not just bored and, and saying, let's get him to do something. It'll be funny, right? It's not YouTube. There's a reason why it's going to cost, it's going to cause us to move, but there's a, it's going to enhance the kingdom of God, enhance the gospel of Jesus. And then the last principle with God-directed risk, God-directed risk is never going to be outside the boundaries of the word of God, ever. God will never, ever ask you to violate his word. So when you get outside the boundaries of the word of God, that's not God prompting you, that's you wanting to do something, right? So the word of God is gonna frame up all of our life. God-directed risk is gonna be God asking you or I to implement his word in a way that's unique to you and I, okay? But never outside the word of God. So God-directed risk, my life will change when I take a risk with God. Now I wanna show you this happening in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, grab them and open up to Joshua chapter 3. And you're going to see here God interacting with his people, asking them to take a risk with him. And I want to show you their response. And from their response, we're going to be able to uh, garner some things for our interaction with, with God, okay? Joshua chapter 3. Now, let me just frame this up for you a little bit. So Joshua chapter three, this is what's happening. There's a group of people that are God followers called the Israelites, okay? And the Israelites in Joshua chapter three are on this side of the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River is the promised land. And this is the land that God had told them about, told their parents about, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where God was gonna bless them. In a ancient culture, land meant everything, right? So that land was more than just good dirt and some borders for them to live within. That land was the physical expression of God's blessing. It's what they hoped for. It's what they dreamed for. It's what they longed for. And it was just across the river. Now, these people are standing on this side, and we got to understand who these people are. These, this Jewish-Israelite people... There's a, probably about 3 million of them that are camped on the other side of the river. These are the children of the people who were set free from slavery in Egypt, okay? So if you're familiar with the story of Moses, the, the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They're, they're the ones who built the pyramids, by the way. It's not aliens, despite what the History Channel says. It's the Jewish people, of it. they're enslaved in Egypt. They cry out to God. God, will you deliver me? God sends a deliverer. His name is 
Moses, all right? Moses goes, interacts with the Pharaoh. Maybe you've heard of this story. Uh, the newest movie out right now is God and Kings. It's a really bad representation of the biblical account, but it's Moses, right? Does things. Christian Bale is Moses. So Batman, Batman goes to the Pharaoh <laughs> and says, let my people go, right? He won't, all the plagues, right? The boils and the frogs and all that kind of stuff happens. Finally, the Pharaoh relents. The Jewish people come out of Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind. He chases them. The sea parts. The Israelites cross over. The Egyptians try it, crashes in, it wipes them out. All right? Big, big, huge miracle stuff going on all through Exodus. God takes that generation of people about to this place and says, I want to give you the promised land. And, but you got to go conquer it. So they send in 12 spies. 10 were bad and 2 were good, if you know the song from Sunday school. And they send in the 12 spies. They come back. These people we're talking about this weekend, their parents chickened out. God said, will you take a risk with me? And they said, no, we would rather go back to Egypt. We'd rather be miserable with something that we're familiar with than trust you and take a risk with you. So God says, okay, fine. I'm not going to give you the promised land. In fact, here's the deal. You are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this whole generation that would not trust me dies. And once you guys die out of old age, I'm going to give your children the promised land. So this is 40 years later. Now here are the kids. And the kids are standing on the edge of the Jordan River waiting to go into the promised land. And God shows up to them and says, will you, your parents wouldn't do it, but will you take a risk with me? Let's look at it. How do you take a risk with God? Joshua, their leader, and these kids are going to show us how to do this. Joshua chapter 3, that's where we find him. Verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. And they said this, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and, the Levitical, and the, the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Let's pause there. God comes to these guys and says, hey, listen, this is what you're supposed to do. When you see the Ark of the Covenant move, Get up and follow the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, especially this part of the Old Testament, is where God resided. If you go back to Exodus chapter 25, the Bible describes the Ark of the Covenant and what it is and why it is. And he tells his people, meet me at the Ark of the Covenant. So this is what Joshua and the leaders are saying to the people. It's the way we say today. They're looking at them and saying, listen, when you see God move, you move. When you see God move, you move. And once you move, you'll know where to go because God will be moving ahead of you. Here's the first principle. If I'm going to take a risk with God, here's the deal. I have to be willing to always move in step with God. 
As a follower of Jesus Christ, my life is not my own. My decisions are not my own. My future is not my own. My plans are not my own. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And when God moves, I don't observe his movement and think, that is so interesting. When God moves, I don't, I don't, I'm not a passive bystander. When God moves, I, by instinct, am to break down camp and move with God. See? And he's going to take me someplace that I have never been before. So much of the false teaching in, in Christendom today is the idea that when I want something to happen in my life, I act on it and I ask God to bless my decisions. God, we're, we're going to get this new house, so you've got to give me this raise. God, we decided we're going to do this, so, you know, I really, I really need you to kind of like show up. The lottery would be nice. God, I want to do this, and you, if you love me, you will cause this to happen because I want it to happen. And if you can find that in the Bible, I will give you my house. It's not there. When the Spirit of God moves you, move. When God prompts you, act. It's not an impulse. If it's a huge life-altering decision, the Bible says, right, seek godly counsel. Talk to people you trust. Get the elders of the church. Talk to the pastors. But we don't sit and watch God do things. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. And Joshua comes to his people and says, listen, when God moves, go with him. Go with him Where? Don't ask that question yet. You've never been this way before. I don't know how to do it. I didn't. When I move, you move. Just last night, I was uh, sitting over at the Bath campus, and Pastor Dan Gregory, who spoke here last week, spoke at Bath because we're all rotating around. So he spoke at, at Bath last week, gave the same message that he gave here if you were able to be here a week ago. If not, you should listen to it online. It's fantastic. And he talked about my life change when my secret came out. And he talked about the woman caught in adultery. And I have spent the bulk of my week trying to help a family go through this very thing. And I listened to that message and I was weeping the whole, the whole message. And I just kept thinking of this family because the message is not about what an idiot you are for being an adulterer. The message is how amazing it is that God loves a sinner. And all I could think about was my friend and God moved. And after first service, I just picked up the phone. I called him and said, will you come to church with me? When? Right now. Come over here. And he did. And he listened. And we wept together. When God moves, you move. You don't, you don't sit and think, man... I hope one of these days that guy hears something like this. God's talking to you. And, he, and what if he doesn't come? And what if he gets mad? And what if he's offended? I'll show you what to do once you're there. But I'm moving. 
and I'm moving in your life and I'm pulling on your heart and I'm tugging on you, let's go. Why? I'm trying to get you to the promised land. And you don't know how to get there. Follow me, right? And when I move, you move. So the folks did. They got up and they started to go with God. They weren't asking God to bless their plans. They were following his. And verse five, they start moving. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it and went up, uh, up ahead of them. Verse seven, and Joshua said, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant and when they reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. This is the second thing I want you to grab out of this. When God moves, you move. The second thing is this. As you move, you've got to remember that you're moving because God is writing your story. Your story. It's fascinating what the Lord says to Joshua. The people got up, they start moving, and then the Lord spoke to Joshua at verse 6. It says, take up the Ark of the Covenant, move. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses, right? Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. It's fascinating. God's interacting with his people and interacting with Joshua. And he says, I'm going to work among you. And he says a very specific thing. He says, tomorrow, I'm going to do amazing things among you. An ancient Jewish person would have recognized the word amazing. And it's a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word for amazing there is the same Hebrew word that God used when he talked about the things that were gonna happen to cause Pharaoh to let his people go. These people, their parents would have seen those things. They would have heard these stories. We would use the word supernatural. I'm going to do supernatural things among you. And as an ancient Jewish person here, you would have recognized, oh, my mom and dad talked about supernatural things. They talked about the supernatural boils and they talked about the supernatural when the Nile turned to blood. And they talked about God doing supernatural things. And God looked at this generation and said, I'm gonna do those supernatural things among you. I'm gonna exalt you, Joshua, like I was with Moses. This is not your parents' faith. This is not your grandpa's story. I'm going to write one with you and you're gonna look out tomorrow and you're gonna see unbelievable things happen and you're gonna see the hand of God move and it's not gonna be a Bible story and it's not gonna be an old missionary story. It's going to be your story. But you have to follow me in order for me to write it. Joshua goes to the people, he says, consecrate yourself. What's that mean? It means when God moves, you move. You get close to God. 
Set yourself apart. It's not about God doing for you. It's about you doing for God. Rid yourself of sin. Rid yourself of distraction. Infuse yourself with faith. Follow me and I will do supernatural things for you. And you will see it and you will give testimony to it and you will know because these are your miracles for this generation. And look what God does. The people get up, the priests step in the river, verse 14. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And the people saw amazing things. And it wasn't just Joshua and it wasn't just the priests. It was the people. So when they were sitting at the fires that night, they weren't saying, did you see what God did for Joshua? Did you see how God worked through the priest? When they were sitting at the fires that night, they were sitting talking to their kids saying, Could you, when we walked past the wall of water, when our feet were completely dry, when God, we were just a part of something supernatural. And God would look at you and me and say, follow me. When I move, you move. Come on. I want to do something amazing in your life, but you, you do that next to me. I don't do that running around begging you to show up. Follow me and I will show up. I will exalt you. I will work in your life. You will see the miracle. You will go to the promised land. I will show up. I want to write that story, but in order to do it, you got to jump in the river. Because the stories of faith and the stories of confidence and the stories of the supernatural are always written in the river. They're not written on the bank. They're written in the river. And the only way to get from where I'm at to where I dream of being is to jump in the river and let God show up in ways that I never thought he could. So the question is, what's your promised land? When you think of God doing something extraordinary in your life and you think of the supernatural or you think of the impossible, what's your promised land and what river do you have to cross with God to get to it? Some of us, our promised land will be a healthy marriage. I know somebody like this right now. 
and their marriage has been destroyed. It's been blown up. All the worst things that can happen have happened. And I sat with my friend just a couple days ago at breakfast, and he looked at me and he said, do you actually believe God can heal this mess? And I said, I absolutely believe this. I said, I will, we can get my phone out right now, and I'll give you 10 people to call where this miracle actually happened in their life. God can do this. I've seen it with my own eyes. But you got to go across the river. You got to take a risk. If you want the risk, if you want the promised land of God healing your marriage, you have to take the risk of forgiving the things that destroyed it. What if he does it again? I can't promise you that. But what if, I know. But we can't get from here to there without going through the river. And if you'll follow God and forgive as you've been forgiven, that's where the miracles show up. For some of you, the promised land is is I, I want, you know what I want? What? I want a husband that actually leads our family spiritually. How do I get that? You may have to take the risk of submitting to him. What? That's old-fashioned. Yeah, I know. Godly women let their men lead. That's how he becomes the leader of a family. Well, he doesn't know any. I know. I didn't say it was easy. It's on the other side of the river, but if it's what you want, you've never been this way before. It's how you get there. I want God to use my life in a significant way. I want to make a difference for the Lord. Okay, well, you may have to take a risk. What? You may have to go someplace you've never gone before. Leave the comforts of what you know to pursue what you do not know. There's people in this room right now, I'm looking at them, who said, I, I have a dream of a healthy, thriving church in Medina. Right, how do we get there? It's on the other side of the river. Well, how are we gonna do that? We're gonna kinda make it up as we go. I don't know what, I, I've looked at them, so you just gonna have to trust me, I don't really know. There's no plan. I just know it's over there. And the only way from here to there is through the river. And if we'll take a risk with God, the supernatural happens in our life. And that doesn't mean you get rich and it doesn't mean your hair grows back and it doesn't mean that, that's TV garbage. I'm talking about the spirit of God doing what he does. And the people of faith engaging the God of faith and taking a risk with him. I remember about... Um, Oh, probably, uh, probably seven, 16, 17 years ago, I was a, I was a youth pastor. So our, the mother of all campuses is the Norton campus, right? And so I was the youth pastor down there for a long time. And I was sitting in a meeting. And uh, in that meeting, it was an elders meeting. And um, we're talking about plans and dreams. And should we build another building? And what about a campus? And this and that. The stuff was kind of 
banging around down then. And there was some guys in that meeting. Some, some of them, you may know some of their names. Some of their names you'd never know. So guys like Bob Combs were in that meeting. Uh, guys like Dwight Stair were in that meeting. Dutch Romine. Dutch Romine is so old. That's 17 years ago, he was so old, right? And so that, there's a bunch of old guys in the meeting. And I'm sitting there. I'm 25 years old. And I'm kind of bored. This was before everybody had smartphones. There was nothing to do. You had to pay attention. It was ridiculous. And so I'm, I'm sitting there kind of bored, listening, kind of waiting for the time to pass, right? And, and they're talking about plans and strategies and budgets and whatever. And all of a sudden, the tone of the meeting changed. And these guys started talking about their stories of faith. So Bob pipes up. And he said, yeah, I remember back in 1981 or whatever it was, that we, we, we were growing and we needed to build the new auditorium at Norton and interest rates were like 37% or whatever it was. And, and some of you who remember those times, and, and he's like, I, I remember we had to sign those loan papers and like my hand was trembling because we were like putting the new church on a credit card, you know, and, and it was so scary. And, but we knew God wanted us to do it, so we did it. And then Dwight piped in. He said, yeah, I remember back at Dwight predates Bob. So I remember back when, you know, Jesus was still on the earth. And, and uh, um, I, I remember back and, and he said uh, the, before Bob came, the church was really, really struggling. And it just had a, a few people in it. And Dwight uh, said, I had, he was on the elder board. He said, I had decided it was time to close it. It's time to be done. And he said, I, I, I told my wife, I'm going to vote to close tonight. And he said, I got in the car, and he was driving down Greenwich Road head from Wadsworth over Norton. And he said, God spoke to me. And I, I just couldn't do it. So I didn't vote to close. Guys, we wouldn't exist if Dwight hadn't have jumped in the river. Well, Dutch spoke up and he talked about, he used to be in charge of all the mission. We had, had a mission commission, this old church thing. And, and uh, we had one of those and Dutch talked about the time that they decided to almost double the budget for missionaries and just felt led to do it. How are we gonna pay for it? And what are we gonna do? And, but we feel like we need to do it and how all the money came in. And I remember listening to these old war horses and listening to them tell these stories of faith. And this is what struck me. I remember sitting there thinking and praying, God, I want a story. I, I love these men, I respect them immensely, but I don't want to just listen to their stories. I want one. I, w I want to walk on dry ground and see the water piled up. I, I, I want a story. Would you give me a story? Because I, I want you to use my life this way. It was a couple months later. I will never forget it until the day that I die. I was driving from Norton to Macedonia and I was going up 77 North and I was taking the exit ramp 271 North to go up to Macedonia. I was going up to seminary. 
And I had been talking with my friends for years about uh, what's wrong with the church, is what every 25-year-old pastor does. Do you know what's wrong with the church? And so I'm like, you know what's wrong with the church? And we had talked and thought and dreamed and this and that and the other thing. And I had, I had like this idea. I'm like, well, if the church did this and that, and we've behaved this way and we interacted this way and we started this church planning movement and that's what we ought to do. And God had just kind of seeded those things in my heart. But I was a youth pastor. I love being a youth pastor. I would still be a youth pastor today if I could get away with it. And it was, it was a blast and it just was on my heart. It was like my dream. And I remember driving up the highway and getting off on the exit ramp and I will never forget the Lord speaking to me. And he said to me, this is very profound, ready? He said to me, you do it. You do it. And I knew what he meant. I, I would probably take you within 10 feet. I'd pull a car over. I'd start crying. I knew what he meant. You go start it. Talk. Quit dreaming. You get in the river. You want a story? I'll give you a story, bud. And I, I loved where I was at. Before my mom and dad died, the hardest thing that ever happened in my life was looking at a group of teenagers and telling them I wasn't going to be their youth pastor anymore. I loved it. But the possibility of what could be, the promised land, and then God moved. I love being out here because you guys are my promised land. This is what I dreamed of. This is what I've given my life to. It's not here because of me. It's here because of God and Tony. <laughs> but I love it. This is what ran through my mind sitting on an exit ramp. What's your promised land? You want, you want a story? They're only written in the river. You want to see it firsthand? teenager, college student, quit living off your parents' faith. It's not yours. You didn't see it. And God wants to give you that. And it's going to cost and it's going to hurt. Those are the promises God makes. But when you get there, when you're living in it, I'm going to ask the band to come out. And as they come up, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute?
Guys, the, the people of God are only to have one answer to God. It's always yes. So what river is God asking you to cross? You may need to love your enemy. You may need to forgive. You may need to sign up to go to a mission field. (laughs) Maybe in this moment, God is putting in your heart the seed to start the Medina West campus one day. I, I don't know what your promised land is, but I bet you you do, and I bet you you're thinking about it right now. God wants to give you that. It's on the other side of the river. So will you, in faith, say yes to your God? Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Give us courage. Give us confidence in your heart and your mind. Let us seek first your kingdom. And God, trust your heart. Lead us, Lord, and let us be people of faith that follow you. Press that into us even now. It's in your name we ask.